Hey, I'm going to preach. How about that? Watch out. Let me pray if that's okay. Get this kick started. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you do have a heart for babies. You do have a heart for moms and broken people and people that are in hurt relationships. Lord, so we pray that you would help us to be a part of what you're doing with this movement. And Lord, today we pray that you would come be with us. You're already here, Lord. We're thankful for that. Lord, what sweet worship this morning. Amazing, God, that we get to do this life with you. You're not far away. So bless us today. Help me to pay attention to what you're doing and help us to hear what it is you want us to hear. Amen. How about that? Excited. Byron and Becky are out with family this weekend. Getting some rest and relaxation. They, they earned it. Yeah, so we bless them. He said he might tune in. Byron might tune in. So we'll see. If you're on, watching on Facebook, Byron and Becky, we love you. Okay, so I'm going to share today. This is maybe an introduction message. So I'll start with that. Y'all okay? Everybody stand up for a second, will you? You're already asleep. All right, say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All right, stretch your hand up and say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All right, now you can sit back down. All right, so this is an introduction message potentially, kind of into a little bit of a journey um, about what it is to discover who we are as the bride of Christ. So I'll throw that out there. I, I kind of talk about this on and off some. A couple of weeks ago when I was leading, I was talking about putting out some candles and some rose petals someday coming soon. Maybe I should have done that today, but hey, it's love month. Like, it's a good day to talk about being the bride of Christ, right? It probably won't get too weird, though, but no guarantees. All right, so I'm going to start off by sharing a vision that I had um, as kind of an introduction. So I was in church somewhere, I think, uh, it's been years ago that I've had this vision, and it was like kind of a mental picture, if you would, and all of a sudden, I saw myself in this big castle room. I think it was like a corner, not a corner room, but like a, a tower around one of those rounded rooms in the corner of a tower in the corner of a castle. And I found myself in this, in this huge room. And in the corner, not corner because it was round, was a huge window. And Jesus was standing at this window looking out, I guess, over what was his kingdom. And it was amazing in that moment because, for a number of reasons, um, because of how close I felt to his presence. And I thought to myself, how often have I, potentially you, maybe also, have felt far away from God? As I was having this vision, I, I imagined myself on the other side, if you'll bear with the analogy of the moat. Down the path, across the moat, on the other side, looking in, looking at the castle, right? And I thought, I thought to myself, how many of us have been in this place? And, and maybe it sounds something, maybe it sounds something like, like, Lord, oh, heavenly gracious God, if you but have mercy on my wretchedness, please, Lord, turn your face toward me. Lord, I beg you to hear us my prayer. <laughs> right? Have we been there? Looking out from outside in, hoping that maybe he'd answer a prayer, that maybe he'd let us be with him. Have you been there? I think as a church we've been there. You know, over time especially years past. And maybe it's because of this culture or, you know, cultures that have come before us where there has been this kind of hierarchy and this, you know, the, the place of a king and the place of his people, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Okay, but in this vision, all of a sudden something became very clear and a little bit odd to me. The room that I was in was a bedroom. It was the bedroom of the castle, the bedroom chamber. 
And I was sitting at the end of the bed, looking at Jesus, looking out this window. Now, if you're a girl, that might not be a weird mental image. But for me at the time, it was a little bit weird. But I felt this immense like love for him in that moment, right? That I was looking at his greatness, at his beauty, right? As he was standing at this window, and I knew in this vision that I was the bride. That I was the bride. And that was kind of my first introduction into this thing that I had heard about that we are the bride of Christ. My first personal introduction. Now, as I get started today, I want to remind us, Corey spoke a couple weeks ago, right? And he talked about how when you hear new information, the part of your brain that processes that is the same part of your brain that says danger, danger. (laughs) You're not in danger today, okay? I just want you to know that if you feel threatened, you're not in danger. So this is new to you. It's okay. But we have this thing that we have have talked about in circles about the bride of Christ. It's commonly believed that, especially in the end times, the church will be the bride of Christ. Okay? So far, so good? There's arguments against that too, though, right? Some people say, no, 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 the church, uppercase C, you know, corporate church, is not the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is actually the heavenly Jerusalem that will come down, the new Jerusalem, right? Or some people say, no, no, it's Israel is the bride of Christ. And I think, you know, some of those are fair, fair arguments. I, one, one person, I was reading some arguments against the bride of Christ this week in preparation. One person said, bride of Christ is never used in the Bible, the term bride of Christ. And I was thinking, well, in a lot of newer translations, the term communion is not used in the Bible, but we still talk about communion, right? We'd all agree that communion is a real thing. So sometimes we put terms on things. I think there's a strong case for the fact that we're the bride of Christ. And and that's today I want to share a little bit about. I want to to pursue that with you. Is that okay? And I want to look at it a little bit probably more of a a teaching message in some respects. About what is it? Are we really the bride of Christ? What does that mean? I think there's, I I said this as an introduction message. I think there's even more about like our response to that. But I want to lay some groundwork for it. Are we? And if we are, what does that mean about our identity? Okay? So I wrote it like this. Let's explore if we're the bride of Christ. And if so, what does that mean for us? So that's my, my thesis statement, my, my key points. I'll come back to that. Grab a hold of it. Okay, let's go for a biblical basis on what is, what's the Bible say about us being the bride of Christ, okay? Oliver's going to wrap it through some of these for me. We're going to start in Isaiah. That's, let's start in the Old Testament. That's a good place to start. Isaiah 54, 5. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. Okay, we see this reference to him being our husband, right? This could easily be about Israel as a whole. It's in Isaiah. Could easily be about Israel. Could also easily be about the New Jerusalem. Let's go forward. Next is Isaiah 62, 4 through 5. Never again will you be called the forsaken city, the desolate land. Your name, your new name, will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. That's a cool visual, which we'll come back to. But here again, we see a biblical case where this is really New Jerusalem. You could make a case on that, right? This is a city. But I think prophetically, it doesn't close the door for this being about us as a corporate body or us as individuals, but we definitely see New Jerusalem in there. Let's go to Mark. We'll jump to the New Testament. These aren't all the verses about the bride of Christ, but picked out some. Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and and then they will fast. So this is in response to Jesus' disciples saying, hey, John the Baptist's disciples are 
are fasting. Why should we be fasting, Jesus? Like, no, the bridegroom's in town. So we don't fast while the bridegroom, we celebrate while the bridegroom's here. Now, the bridegroom's going away, and then when he comes, that, that'll be a good time to fast. Okay, so in this case, Jesus is not talking as a whole. Not all of his disciples were Israel, Israelites. <laughs> not all of his disciples were Israelites, and not all of his, like he wasn't, he was talking about present tense at the time. The bridegroom is in town. So I don't think it was just about a new Jerusalem in that moment either. And I think this is starting, we start to see a case for, it's, for us as individuals. Is that fair? Yeah. It's also an introduction that Jesus himself is the bridegroom. Right? We start seeing that he is the bridegroom. Oliver, let's go to the next one, John 3, 29, 30. I hope these aren't too many verses. Like I said, I'm going to kind of rocket fire, aren't you? This is John the Baptist, kind of on the flip side. Similar circumstance. In this case, the disciples were, well, not the disciples, but people at the time were saying, hey, John, are you jealous of this Jesus guy? You used to be kind of the main speaker on the street that people were talking about, and now this Jesus guy comes on, and he's getting a little bit notoriety than you are, more notoriety than you are. And John the Baptist says, it's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was who he was, the Son of God, but in, in response to are you jealous, essentially? He said, no, that's the bridegroom. The bridegroom is in town, and I, as the friend of the bridegroom, I'm just happy to be by his side. I'm, I'm thrilled with his success. So here we see somebody not Jesus calling Jesus the bride, bridegroom. And again, it was a present tense. It wasn't so for just for some future day. Are you following me? So far, so good? Okay, let's jump to Paul. Paul's a good guy to talk about if you're reading the Bible. 2 Corinthians 11.2. Paul says, for I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Now, this is important to me as I'm looking through it because Paul's whole ministry was to the Gentiles. Now, he was of Jewish descent, right? Jew of all Jews, Pharisee of all Pharisees. But his mission was towards the Gentiles, the Greeks. Well, that, then this can't be just about Israel. And it can't be just about the new Jerusalem because he was also speaking about preparing an individual church. The message to Second or to Second Corinthians Second Corinth. There was actually one Corinth church. When he spoke to the first Corinth church. That's a joke. Okay. So his message to the, to the church in Corinth was to an individual church. This is not written from the perspective of global church, uppercase C. Are we okay? Okay. Let's jump even forward. Now let's look forward in Revelation. Let's look out to the future. And it says in 19, 7 through 8, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Wow. There will be a wedding feast when he comes back. Won't that be amazing? When he returns and his bride, in this case, uppercase C, is rejoined with him. Wow. That'll be amazing. And this is clearly, I think, talking about that day. It talks about preparing herself, the bride. So I, I think it also speaks to us today. I'll probably jump into that later. I think this ties back a little bit to some other verses that we've already read, but let's keep moving forward to Revelation 21, two through three, and then also verse nine. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. 
Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came out and said to him, come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That's amazing. That also is like that future day and clearly speaks about a new Jerusalem that will be established where God will live with his people, right? So that bride is clearly tied also to this, this place, this new place. I mean, at least based on what I can do. Right? So I think if we're asking the question, as I like a takeaway from these verses, is the bride of Christ is a real thing. You could call it the, I mean, I don't know what other term you would use other than bride of Christ. Right? It's the bride of Christ. We clearly see it, right? He's the husband of the bride. He's the bridegroom of the bride. We see that, right? And I think what we looked at today, the verses point out that it actually applies to a few different things. Isn't God sometimes like that? <laughs> right? Isn't it cool how in Isaiah, Isaiah can be talking about that present body and also a future body, us today, and also a future body in the future future. God's outside of time, and oftentimes in his mysteries, things can mean many things. I think, you don't have to believe it, that the bride of Christ refers to the new Jerusalem in that future day when God returns. I think the bride of Christ refers to the corporate church, uppercase C, living in the end times like we are already today. God has left, the bridegroom has gone away, and someday the bridegroom will come back to take his bride. I think that church, uppercase C, is what we're living in today. Fair? And I think that it also applies to us as individuals. Like Jesus was talking to his disciples. Like Paul was talking to the church in Corinth. I think it's for us as individuals. So, if the bride of Christ is real, and if it applies to us, then what? I always ask myself that question when I'm preparing messages. Like I start to, you know, hear some stuff and I start to, oh yeah, that could be good. And maybe I'll talk about that. And then other stuff, I'm like, oh, that's the worst thing I've ever thought. That's stupid. And usually that's what I end up sharing about. Um, and in, in this moment, I, I always ask myself, yeah, but so what? So what does that mean? What do I do with that? I think for today, I want to talk about if we're the bride of Christ, what does that mean about us? I'm going to go after that a little bit today, which is not a surprise. Because if you've ever heard me talk, I often talk about who you are, our identity. I can't let go of it, honestly. It probably, you probably get sick of it. But, well, Byron asked me to speak, and that's who I am. <laughs> I think there's also a response then that we can make. If we're individuals, what response can we make? And if we're a church that's the bride of Christ, what response can we make corporately? Those, I'm planting seeds maybe for a future day. Okay. So again, I want to talk about if we're the bride of Christ, what does that mean for our, our identity? So I started to unpack this. I started to think about how interesting it is, again, kind of the many facets of God. Raise your hand for me if you're, I like this like participation thing. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. You can be like, you're a fool. Okay, raise your hand if you are a son or daughter or ever have been. Okay, raise your hand if you're a father or a mother. Okay. Raise your hand if you're a brother or a sister. Okay. How about if you're a husband or a wife? Okay. Well, that's interesting. How about if, yeah, right? I mean, did anybody not raise their hand? Or more than once, maybe even? How about if someday you'll be a husband or a wife, you hope? Come on, Lord. Yes, Lord. Right? Isn't it interesting that we all wear different hats and sometimes, you know, different hats with different people, obviously. So, but, but we have this progression, I think, in our relationship with the Lord. Corporately, even. Once upon a time, we were slaves. We were servants. 
Slave's a strong word, I think, probably in the way that we use it today, so we'll use servants, right? If we look all the way back to the Old Testament, there was a lot of, I'm serving the Lord. And isn't it important for us today to still serve the Lord? It is. We're still servants of the Lord. We're still servants of each other if we're, we're following his example, right? But in a, I'm a servant, that kind of has a little bit of a context, doesn't it? And again, I think I said earlier, based on the, the vision that I had, I think once upon a time we saw ourselves far away. I know I did. And in the Old Testament, I think that was probably more prevalent. And something happened, I think, in the New Testament church when Jesus was walking with the disciples, where that went away. I think the disciples that walked with Jesus laid their head on his chest. Right? I think they had a taste of what it meant to be something other than just a servant. Right? But then I think we got away from that as a church uppercase C. And again, maybe it's because of cultural norms and social class. Something happens, right? And I think we got away from it. But we're getting back to it. But Jesus said himself, You're no, I no longer call you servants. I no longer call you servants. But I call you what? Friends. Well, that's a different relationship than a servant. Right? I think it's a progression. We're friends of Christ. Isn't that cool? Why does he say we're friends? He said we're friends because he was showing us what the Father was doing. That he was showing us. So now we're part. We're in this with him. That's a friendship. That's deeper than a servant. Am I, is that okay? Well, that's interesting. We're friends of God. There's a really good song about that. We used to sing it like 10 years ago at church a lot. I'm a friend of God. I used to, I used to lead bilingual worship. And Mary did too, if that, if that sounds interesting to you guys. And we used to sing the chorus of that song because the verse I never could figure out in Spanish, in Spanish and English. Come on. I don't remember. I'm the worst person with lyrics ever. Okay, babe, my wife said, yeah. Okay, so we're a friend. Jesus said it himself, friends of the bridegroom. Right? When the bridegroom's in town, the friends don't need to fast. John the Baptist said, I'm a friend. Watch him. Okay, we're friends. Right? Well, let's progress. Where have we gone, church, this church, in our history, past the level of friendship? We've gone into this place of being sons and daughters. Right? It's, again, a progression, I think. We're sons and daughters. Well, that's different than being a friend. Now, especially when you think long term. Right? Because the revelation that we've gotten as a church is that we're sons and daughters. Well, that comes with, I'm a co-heir. Well, that's different than being a friend. Right? I have an inheritance. That's different than being a friend. I have, uh, he provides for me. That's different than being a friend. Deeper, right? We have this, this, relationship where the God of the universe that created everything that's outside of town is my daddy? Like the casual use of the term daddy? That's not some servant sitting far off on the other side of the moat. We got to crawl up into his lap? We've gone there, church, right? This idea that God's our father, we're sons and daughters, that's a significant Revelation, And I think what's next for us is that we're the bride. I think that that's a different level of progression also. And I think I've just kind of like stuck my little toe in the water when it comes to what does that mean? Because it's a little bit weird. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. But let's talk about big picture that's what I want to, you know, kind of continue on today is this, we are into this relationship where he is now our bridegroom. We're the bride. Wow. That's different. And I started thinking about how do we go after, what does that mean for me? What does that mean? What is a bride? And instead of making up my own things, which I had a long list of what it would be to be a bride, I'm not a, I've never been a bride. <laughs> 
in the natural. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine some things my wife may have thought as a, as a bride when she was my bride. She's still my bride, but you know, in that moment leading up to the moments leading up to being married. But what I wanted to do was look at Song of Solomon to dive into this. And how many of you know that Song of Solomon is written by Solomon, hence the name, but in some versions of the Bible it's called Song of Songs. So you might not have known it was written by Solomon, but it was. And it's this love story. It's a poem, right? It's written in a poetic uh, prose. No, not prose. That's the wrong term. Po- poetic verse, sure. Some literary term meaning to write as a poetry. As opposed to like a historical book or a letter, right? It's poetry. And so there's a lot of analogy and metaphor and it's really in crazy book, honestly. Um, my kids aren't in the room. One of my kids is in the room. So maybe my kids are in the room. Okay, I'm going to tell myself. When I was in high school, we used to go on retreats like they do in Camp Morley. But we had a fall retreat and a, and a spring retreat, and we went to these cabins. And it was really rustic, and you know, you'd always like go into the girls' cabin and hang up a bunch of like tree branches across the front door so they can't get in. I mean, if you're on your way to Camp Morley next year, don't do any of that. <laughs> but hypothetically, I was in this place, and I was in this kind of age where I liked girls, and. And I found myself this one year, this is crazy. I was, me and my buddy liked these two other girls. And so we thought, and they were really spiritual, y'all. They were like into church. So we were like, we gotta step up our game. So we, we would go out during free time, quiet time, and we'd open up the Song of Solomon and like couch, like take some verses out of there. And like write them in notes. Because back, for those of you like kids, we didn't have these things called phones that you could text message. Our text messages were literally text on a piece of paper that you folded up and handed to somebody, right? So I was text messaging this girl. It was like slow message to get to her, and then she'd respond to me. It could take a day. It could take a day to respond. I know some of you don't know what that means. So she would write back, you know, whatever. It was, it was really silly. It was dumb. And like, you know, there's sometimes where we were writing, we're like, oh, yeah, that's good. And there's sometimes like, I can't say that. Get kicked out of camp. Okay, so that's my that's kind of my, my background with Song of Solomon. But when I've been recently going through the Song of Solomon, it's also a book, not only is it a love story, that's a poem for this bridegroom and his bride. It's called like the young man and the Shulamite, right? Um but it's also, or the beloved and the Shulamite, it's also a story about, many people would agree, about Christ and the church. Now, if you read it from that perspective, you got to kind of make your eyes fuzzy a little bit. Because if you read it literally, it's weird. Okay? But if you don't, if you read it metaphorically about Christ and his church, it's amazing. It's outrageous. And so I started reading it. But for the purposes of today, again, I was coming after who are you? If you're the bride of Christ, what does that mean about you? Right? So I, what I did was I just read the parts that the beloved was saying. Just his perspective. So in other words, I was saying, if this Christ is a story about you and your church, us, me, then I'm going to read, what are you saying? So I just read the parts, well, I didn't just, but what I'm getting ready to share is just from his perspective. So here's what Christ says. He says you're lovely. He says that you're radiant. He says that you are beautiful or handsome if you're a man. He actually doesn't use the word handsome, but you could put that in there. He says that you're beautiful. Can you grab that? He says... That you're his companion that stands out from all the other companions. He says that you are his companion. He wants to be with you. He's not a far off God. He wrote a love song that says he wants to be with you. A companion. That's amazing. 
Come on. That the God of the universe would want to be your companion? My companion? Come on. Hey, if you have, I did not put this in my notes, and I'll show you later if you don't believe me. But if you have self-image issues, he likes your body. That's in there. Come on, thanks. There's like the five people that have read Sarah Solomon recently and been like, can we joke about that in church? He invites you to come away with him. He invites you to leave all the other people and come away with him. To get away from the noise and come away with him. That's amazing. He calls you his equal. Whoa, put on the brakes. I'm not the equal of Christ. However, in 1 John 3, 2, it does say when we see what him, we'll be like him. When we see him, we'll be like him. So I don't think that the Song of Songs saying that you're my equal, my bride, is that, I think that's future tense, but I think it's right. I wasn't, I was going to leave that one out because I've been kind of get my head around it. But I think that's good. Here's what's crazy. You're irresistible to God. He goes after it. The bride, the bridegroom, the beloved, he goes after this in such clarity that he's coming after you. He's coming after the Shulamite in the story. Have you had God pursue you? He's coming after you. He doesn't care what you've done wrong. He, you're irresistible to him. That means he can't stop himself from coming after you. He says it. Go, go read it. He can't withstand not coming after you. You're irresistible to him. Come on. Right? You're royalty. You're royalty. That'll shift your perspective. Before I got up here to speak today, I was sitting over there and I'm like, I'm, I'm with Jesus. And if I believe this thing about being a bride... And I believe that, that he has a message for me to share, and I'm his messenger, then I can stand up here and share it with all confidence because I have the mark of the, this, like the seal of the king. Do you know what I'm referring to? If you watch any like medieval stuff, or the, if you sealed something with the seal of the king, that's as good as the king's word. Well, if we're queens, guess what? We have that ring that signet ring that we can use. We're, we're seated on the throne with him. Right? Right? Yes, yes. That's amazing. And we're parents to the thing that he wants to birth in us. And if you look at this from a perspective of the gifts that he's given you that he wants you to use for his good in this world, which is all over the scripture, that's what I think that's talking about. He's planted things inside of us that he wants to use for his good in this world. That's awesome. But how often have we been out on the other side? See, here's what the devil does. The devil surrounds us and whispers lies and sometimes yells lies at us. Do you know that? Have you heard that? You're not good enough. You can't do this. What are you thinking? Your life's a wreck. You deserve what you have coming to you. Ooh. Those are lies. And the enemy stands there and surrounds us. But if you read the Song of Songs from the, the bridegroom's perspective, he repeats himself over and over and over again. And that's what God's doing. Over and over again, he's saying, I love you. You're who I created you to be. You're beautiful. You're my companion. I'm coming after you. You're worthy. You are my bride. I have stuff that I want to do with you that only I can do with you. That's the stuff that God's saying. Right? Over and over, repetitive, repetitive. I was thinking about this. 
you may have heard this story, but there's a tribe in South Africa. I'm going to probably mispronounce the name, but like Babemba, maybe? Babemba tribe in South Africa. And I'd heard this story a couple years ago, and it resurfaced, resurfaced in my mind. In this tribe, I'm going to read a little bit here. When a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he's placed in the center of the village, alone and unfettered. Imagine that. He did something wrong, they put him in the center of the village. Has anybody heard this story? Okay, here's what comes next. Every person in the tribe, all work ceases. Every man, woman, and child in the village gather in a large circle around this individual who's clearly done something wrong. And then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in their lifetime. Every incident, it says, every experience that can be recalled with any detail or any accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, Strengths, kindnesses, sorry, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This ceremony can go on for days. And at the end of the tribal, the tribal circle, circle is broken and a joyous celebration takes place as the person is symbolically brought back into the tribe. I was reminded about that and almost to tears because I hear God saying that to us. The enemy is whispering to us, telling us all these lies about who we are. And God steps in and starts telling us who we really are. And he says it over and over and over again. We can listen. You can listen to his voice saying those things. And I think we've heard that, right? That's not a surprise. We love going after that stuff. That's identity stuff, right? But it's also the identity about the bride. And that's what I wanna, I wanna hit that today. I wanna hit that today and actually have a little bit of ministry time here if we can. Because here's what I wanna ask you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a so what guy. So what? Here's what. If you're believing something else, I want to give you the opportunity to believe this instead. Okay? So I do want to like practically apply this for a second. If you thought, if you have thought that you're less than, that's a lie. Okay? I think it's the root, frankly, of, of most depression in the U.S. is that we're believing a lie about who we are. And I think that's a root. Because something was done to you, and it's, he's sneaky, that devil. It's like over time, right? There maybe isn't even a moment. But I wanna go after this. You are beautiful. In God's eyes, you are beautiful. If you have had a bride, you know what that feeling looks like to look at somebody and think they're beautiful. If you've been a bride, you know what that feeling looks like to want to be looked at and to be seen as beautiful, I imagine. That's how God sees you. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. And he's made you for a purpose. Can you grab this? Y'all, if I'm up here just talking, tell me to shut up and go home. Because I'm here to help. I'm here because I want to see people's lives get changed. If you don't believe that God has something good to do in your life, then I need you to believe it today as his bride. To say yes, okay? And it might take a while to let that set in and cement in, but believe today say yes. God wants you to be his companion. You're not far away. Hey, I don't care what you did. I don't care what was done to you. I care because I care about you. 
But what I'm saying is Jesus paid the price once for all. Amen. So if you have some egregious, outrageous, terrible sin in your past, it doesn't, it's okay. Jesus can wash that away with his blood if you let him. And then because of his sacrifice, you are made new, period. You don't need, there's no penance, no 20 Hail Marys. It's not, he did. Okay, so now, now after you've received that, God sees you as his bride, the bride of Christ. Okay? So you're beautiful and he wants to be your companion. Hey, let that lock unlock you. Something in your past has been holding you back because of something you thought you did on disqualified you. You're not disqualified. Paul stoned Christians so they were dead. And then went on to write, you know, over half the New Testament or whatever. Like, come on. You're fine. God can forgive you. And he wants to do something in you. He's planted something in you. Sorry, Paul, for spitting on you. That only he wants to do. That only he can do through you. Do you hear me? It's you. It's you. You're unique. You have this specific piece of DNA that God wants to use to do something great. And that great can be great, or that great can be great, but it's still great. Because it's you and only something that you, his bride, can do. Okay? And he wants to have a relationship with you that's crazy, out of this world intimate. I cannot imagine a relationship closer than what I have with my wife. Right? We go, not all, hey, not all marriages are like that. I get that. Like, we go through highs and lows together. She knows things about me that nobody else does. I know things about her that nobody else does. That's the relationship that God wants to have with you. Come on, right? You're beautiful. You're royalty. Okay, stand up. Let me pray for you. Ministry team, you can come forward. I do want the ministry team to come forward because I'm, I want to, I want you to respond to this today. And so instead of me just sitting up here and keep yelling, I'm going to, Invite my bride up. And we're going to release some of this. Do you want to say something first? Um, I hate standing up here on the stage and talking, but I have that feeling like I'm going to throw off if I don't say something. So I know that it's the Lord. So I just want to speak some truth over you guys. So if you need it, grab it. But I want to tell you that you are lovely. You are smart. You are capable. You are strong. Your body serves you. You have vision for the future. You have hope. You have dreams. All of this is good stuff that the Father wants to give you and release to you and let you walk in. So if you need some of those things, come grab them and come get somebody to pray for you today right now. All right? Yeah. The bridegroom gives it to you. His gift to you. The lover of your soul. Open free gift. Here it comes. Let's pray for that right now. I do want to invite people to come forward if you want to go after something specifically. And let me pray for you corporately. Lord, we receive your goodness, your promises. Your perspective of me. Tu perspectiva sobre mi vida. Lord, help me shake off the stuff from my past. Señor, a las cosas de mi and let me shake off the lies that I've been las believing. Que yo he and Lord, let me hear your voice. A oír tu voz. Shouting to me. Gritándome a mí. The thoughts of love that you have for Los me. Pensamientos de amor que tú tienes para mí. Release that today, Lord. Señor, suéltalo sobre mí. Release that today, God. Suéltalo sobre mí, Señor. Before we started, I was getting prayer in the back room. Antes de que comenzáramos, yo estaba recibiendo oración allí en el cuarto de atrás. And I could hear the heartbeat of God. Y yo podía oír el latir de corazón de Dios. Lay your head on his chest. And get this today, please. Receive it, please. Por favor. Felt like maybe the Lord um, wanted to say this to somebody here today. Because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, I had a dream one time. Yo tuve un sueño una vez. Where I can see the Lord looking towards earth. 
Señor mirando a la tierra. I don't understand a lot about science. Yo no entiendo mucho sobre la ciencia. But it was light. Pero era una luz. And I know Jesus says that your eyes are the light. Yo sé que Jesús dice que tus ojos son una luz. And I saw that he looked towards us and it was a great light. Y yo podía ver que él miraba, nos miraba a nosotros y, una, y yo veía una gran luz. O él veía una gran luz. But one of the qualities of light that I understood in that dream. Una de las cualidades que tiene la luz que yo tenía en ese sueño. Is that right, light looks really big. Es que la luz se ve como algo muy grande. But it has rays in it. Pero tiene como rayos que van en el And that Sometimes, like uh, Ryan was saying, we feel, feel far away from the Lord. A veces nos lejos del Señor. Like, Lord, do you really see me? Como, Señor, ¿tú me estás a mí? But that great light focused on each person. And I can see the Lord looking at this mom. And she was taking care of her child. Esta mamá cuidaba de su niña. She was protecting him from evil. Él estaba protegiendo del mal. And how pleased the Lord was with her life. It didn't seem like a great ministry or something like very noble, but that he sees each one of us. And if you're just feeling that way, like you want the Lord to answer your prayer or, or that he feel that he really cares about you individually, I just want to invite you to come forward for prayer. Come on up. Come on up and let's get some prayer. A, a word from August. I won't share it literally, but a word from August. Back in August, that the Lord was saying, Come, come to the bedroom chamber. He was calling out to our church. The King of Kings, the bridegroom is calling, come. Come to my secret chamber of passionate love. I'm calling for you to come to me. That's a pretty clear, it goes on, but that's pretty, pretty awesome. This is an invitation. Your identity is your power. It's your power. It's your authority. The greater one is in you. The living Christ, the Holy Spirit, is within you. And your identity is your power. Don't let the enemy tell you something different. You are bought and purchased with the blood of Christ, and you belong to Him. And this is the right. If you struggle with depression, I'd invite you to come forward. If you struggle with not knowing what your purpose is, not feeling worthy of your purpose, I'd invite you to come forward. Let somebody pray for you today. Okay, let's declare some of these things. Say this with me. I'm loved. God has set me apart. God is calling me his loved one. I am his loved one. I'm worthy because he made me worthy. Amen. Amen. And we're going to stay in this place of worship. We might keep talking. But if you want to be dismissed, you're welcome to be dismissed. Be blessed today.
Go get some love of the Lord. Recibe el amor del Señor. Go share the love of the Lord with someone else. Compártelo con otra persona. Yes.